Good morning. Again, we want to acknowledge to our Father and our God in heaven that we are grateful for all of his love, mercy, and blessings. Uh, as, we, as we have said before, we live in troubled times and in a troubled world, uh, but there are reasons for which every child of God should rejoice. Uh, we should rejoice in the fact that God is greater than our troubles. Uh, we should rejoice in the fact that God is kinder than our sorrows. And we should uh, rejoice in the fact that God is better than our distresses. Uh, the psalmist declares in Psalm 97, verse 1, he says, The Lord reigneth, let the earth rejoice, let the multitude of isles be glad thereof. Uh, we ought to be glad that the Lord reigns, uh, that God is in control, and that God has a better idea. And for all of God's blessings, we ought to be eternally grateful. We want to direct your attention again this morning uh, to the text that was read into our hearing. We want to read again there verse 16 and verse 17. Colossians 1 verse 16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Based on the words of the apostle here in Colossians chapter 1, we want to use this morning as a subject, Jesus is all. Not just one of those statements, when somebody says Jesus is all, you can just say amen to that uh, on the strength of Jesus' person. But, but as we consider the text that we have before us here in Colossians chapter 1, I submit to you that with this letter, true of all the Bible, but with this letter in particular, uh, understanding the purpose clarifies the contents. The Colossian letter, and I try not to be technical, I believe less is more when it comes to communicating. I'm going to be technical for just a couple of moments, just to try to get some ideas on the table. The Colossian letter, to use the scholarly word, is polemic in nature. Now, that's not a word you'll run across in everyday conversation, but polemic uh, if you go to the di dictionary, it defines it as an aggressive attack on or refutation of the uh, opinions or principles of another. In other words, Paul wrote this letter because he didn't like some things uh, uh, that were uh, beginning to spread among the church at Colossae. And he wrote this letter to kind of set them straight about the things that were uh, being introduced there. Some call this teaching the Colossian heresy. Now, the specifics of this heresy aren't spelled out in the Colossian letter, but we are able to determine from a reading of the letter that this heresy was an attempt to blend Jewish law and ritual, a pagan concept of angel worship, and Christianity, and meld all of those things together. And the danger with the Colossian heresy is the danger with most false doctrines. 
Now, you know, some false doctrine is just so false, you just add, look, that's just false doctrine. But, but most false doctrine has some element of truth to it. And, and that's the thing that makes false doctrine dangerous. When we look at what is called by some the Colossian heresy, the most grievous thing about it is while that it didn't deny Christ, it did dethrone him. It, it gave Jesus a place, but not the supreme place. Kind of sounds like our world today, doesn't it? Jesus has a place, but, but, but folk don't want to give him the supreme place. I, I submit to you that Christianity ceases to be Christianity when Jesus is not prominent uh, or preeminent. When we read the text here in, in Colossians chapter 1, uh, uh, twice in the text, in verse 15 and in verse 18, Paul ascribes to Jesus the term firstborn and declares that Jesus is preeminent. Now, now when Paul uses the term firstborn, it, it, it's not first like first in the winner of a race. Uh, uh, Paul says, number one, that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Uh, 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 he's not part of the creation. He is the creator. Now, now, I know this from verse 16. It says, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. But as the firstborn, he has, and, and I'm going to help you out since, since today's the last uh, uh, life group meeting. Now, I know we have the end of the year next week. I'm going to give you the answer to number five now. So, so if you're in a life group, uh, the answer to number five uh, uh, Jesus has priority, dominion, and sovereignty. Now, if you don't get but one right today, you ought to get number five right. I I'm giving you number five there. But he also says that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Now, when he says he's the firstborn from the dead, it, it can't speak to chronology, for others were raised from the dead, chronologically speaking, before Jesus. There were people raised from the dead even in the Old Testament. Now, mind you, Jesus was the first to be raised from the dead, never to die again. But, but Paul uses the term here uh, 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 to refer to Jesus' priority and his supremacy. And, and uh, Jesus is preeminent. And, and preeminence, by definition, is a compound word consisting of the prefix pre meaning before, prior to, or surpassing, and in this case, surpassing would be the one held in view, and the root word, eminence, meaning high in station or rank. Jesus surpasses everybody in rank. He's above everyone and everything. And this is important to us for the same reason that it should have been important to the Colossian Christians. See, Paul understood that Christianity would never be the life-changing, soul-lifting, uh, soul-saving experience God intends it to be if Jesus is not most important. See, if Jesus is simply important, but he's not most important, if he's not all, you'll find yourself rejecting the promises of God, rebelling against the commandments of God, and missing the blessings of God. Now, that's my technical spiel. Now we can just kind of get back to business as usual. Paul's intent in writing to the Colossian uh, church 
was to reestablish the basis or the reason for ascribing preeminence to Jesus. You know, Jesus ought to be preeminent in our lives. Everything ought to revolve around Jesus. Now, not Jesus revolve around the life we've made. He declares that Jesus is the image of the invisible God in verse number 15. Because God in his person, God, God as he exists, is invisible to us. Uh, John tells us, 1 John 4, verse 12, no man has seen God at any time. Now, now if people tell you they've seen God, I don't know who you've seen. I just know who you didn't see. You haven't seen God because God says you haven't seen him, and God ought to know. Now, I'm not saying you're not seeing things, but you know, if you're just seeing things, uh, they have some facilities for you where, where they try to help you with that issue. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Now, now you understand what that means. When you look in a mirror, you see your image. The, the, the mirror shows you yourself. So when we look at the Son, we see the Father. Isn't any God in the flesh? Uh, remember Philip, he was talking to Philip, and, and he said, uh, uh, Philip, rather, Philip says, show us the Father. And Jesus said, well, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm the visible image of the invisible God. So when we look here at Colossians chapter 1, uh, again in verse number 16, Paul says, for by him were all things created. Uh, Jesus created all things. And Paul wasn't alone in his understanding of Jesus as the creator. John declared this same fact in, in John chapter 1. You know, we run around quoting uh, uh, John 1 all the time. In the beginning uh, uh, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But then John goes on to let us know in verse 2, he says, The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus created all things. And remember, the men who penned the Bible did so by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And when we say Jesus created all things, uh, appreciate his power is not just power, it's a creative power. And, and, and there's a difference between creative power and power. See, creative power brings into existence that which was previously not there. So when we say Jesus' power is a creative power, that's why he's able to make a way uh, uh, where there is no way, because he has creative power. You, you ever had God just work in your life and you just kind of wonder uh, uh, about what he did? That's because Jesus has creative power. In, in Hebrews 13, uh, in your Bibles, uh, verse 5 and verse number 6, the Hebrew writer declares, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Now, now what the Hebrew writer is saying, we ought to be able to live without covetous spirits. It, why? Because Jesus has creative power. Whatever I need, God is able to bless me with. When you think about the word covet, the, the, the idea behind covet is, is that I want something to the point that I'm willing to do whatever it takes, even violate the will of God, to get it. And just appreciate, we can covet things other than material possessions, but when you talk about coveting, uh, you know one of the names we think of when you say that. Well, when we talk about coveting, I think about old Achan. 
You remember God warned Israel when, when, when they went in uh, uh, to the promised land that the first fruits, the first victory, of which Jericho was the first victory, since Jericho was the first victory, everything in Jericho belonged to God. Now God said there'll be other victories, there'll be times for you to get things, but the first victory is mine. And you remember Achan went into Jericho and decided he wasn't going to listen to God and he took up the spoils of Jericho? And you know how it is, you never sin against God and God doesn't know it. You remember God called him to give account for what he did. And Achan came and he confessed and he said, I just saw some, some gold and some silver and a good Babylonian garment. And then Achan says, and I coveted them. I wanted them so bad that I was even willing to violate the commandment of God to have them. But you know, Achan's not alone. People have been known to take it into their own hands to get what they want. You remember Sarah hatched a plan to have a child and it blew up on her. Remember Hagar started getting uh, flippy with her because she was able to give uh, Abram a son and Sarah wasn't. Rachel and, Jacob, uh, Rachel and Jacob hatched a plan to steal Esau's blessing and that blew up on them too. That usually what happened to you when you do whatever it uh, takes to get what you want it blows up on you. And in reality, that's the best thing that could happen to us because otherwise we think we got away with it. When you do whatever, don't be surprised when you reap whatever. And as much as we may desire a thing, you know, you just listen to us talk, we desire a thing, and nothing wrong with that. If we can keep it in its proper place, see, sometimes we just let desire run wild with us where we're willing to do whatever it takes to get what we think we want. Because sometimes you just think you want things till you get them. Then when you get them, you realize, you know, this is just what I thought I wanted. But you know, people want things sometimes. Sometimes people want to be married real bad. You know, just, just walk down the aisle with any old cat or dog. Just, just so they can say, I'm married. And, and, and then, you know, that's when they want to call me or, or one of the elders or Brent, one of the people want to have counseling. Because you know, I knew this was a bad idea going in, but I, you know, I just had to have it. And now that I got it, it's turning me every which way but loose. You know, sometimes people think they just do a certain job. You know, every job is not good for Christians to have. Remember, if, if Jesus is all, I don't want my employment to work contrary to that. I, you know, I don't want to have a job that's going to take me away from Jesus. Or, or cause me to, uh, you know, want, they want me to do things that are contrary to the will of God. Sometimes we think we want things, but it's always ill-advised to stoop to whatever to get it. And I mean, we all want things if we're honest, but, but, but I ought to live higher than stooping to whatever. Why? Because Jesus has creative power. If there's something I need, if there's something missing out of my life, with his creative power, Jesus has the ability to make it happen. But not only has Jesus created all things, but in verse number 17, Paul says, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Uh, we are able to determine from what Paul says there that Jesus sustains all things. Now, as awesome as it is that Jesus created the universe, he also sustains it. He upholds it or supports it. Uh, his power is creative and sustaining, and appreciate the order of our universe is not random chance. Christ created the universe, and now he controls it. See, there's a reason the wind and the waves obeyed his voice. 
See, the, the wind and the waves understood it wasn't just any voice. You know, even children won't listen to just any voice. Hey, children, they'll listen to certain voices, and sometimes, Lord help us, the voice they'll listen to in their parents' voice. But, but if you train them up right, they'll always listen to your voice. Now, I know they get grown and they make their own decisions and their own choices, and that's just how life is. We, we do the same even as we are grown. But the wind and the waves appreciated that this wasn't just any voice. See, see, anybody can say, peace, be still. But the wind and the waves don't listen to just anybody. But, but, but see, Jesus' power is a different power. And every day we witness his sustaining power. In Hebrews 1 and verse number 3, the Hebrew writer declares, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins and sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. When we say Jesus sustains all things, now I know the sun, you know, the earth really revolves around the sun, but, you know, as we say, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west every morning, uh, every day, rather. Why is that? That's the sustaining power of Christ that causes those things to work that way. He has sustaining power. And since he has the power to sustain the universe, of which I am but a minuscule part, it shouldn't be hard to accept the fact that he has the power to sustain me. Do you know why we're here? Because Jesus has sustained us. We're not here because we went to college, because we work hard every day, because we eat our vitamins. We are here because the power of God sustains us. Uh, in your Bibles, in Romans 8, uh, uh, verses 38 and 39, Paul says, For I am persuaded. And his persuasion is based on the uh, sustaining power of Christ. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul said, I, I, I don't worry. Remember we talked last Sunday about the way to peace? Paul said, one of the things that'll help you have peace is when you trust in the sustaining power of Christ Jesus. And then look in there in Colossians 1 and verse number 20. The apostle says, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto, unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Now, it just kind of had to divide Colossians 1 of, because Paul just got one long thought running, and if we had read the whole thought, we'd have read all of chapter 1, which I don't know that there would be a bad thing, but, uh, you know, in, in the interest of time, uh, we just kind of divided it up there. Uh, uh, but in verse number 20, uh, Paul declares that Jesus reconciles all things. Now, the word reconcile means to harmonize or to bring back into a proper relationship. I think before the days of modern technology, we probably had a little more experience with reconciling things. You remember in the days when you had the old paper checkbook and, and you get the bank statement at the end of the month and you had to go through and reconcile it, make sure uh, uh, that your checkbook agreed with the bank statement? You know now with online banking and all this other stuff, you just kind of let the computer handle everything. Uh, uh, but in those days, you knew what it was to reconcile uh, uh, your checkbook. I had to make sure that my checkbook and the bank statement agree. 
I had to bring them into a proper relationship. Well, when we look at ourselves, sin put a negative balance in our salvation account. Now, some of us know what it is to have a negative balance in your bank account. Now, now when you got a negative balance in your bank account, the, the bank not going to let that be the case very long. Uh, you know, you won't have an account with them if you don't rectify that situation. Sin put a negative balance in our salvation account. Now, the blood of Christ not only balances or reconciles our account, it brings us back into a proper relationship with God. It gives us a preferred status in Christ Jesus. Did you know all banks, uh, banks don't treat all customers the same way? And, and I'm not just talking, I worked at one. And I know from having worked at one that how the bank treats you depends on how much of your money you let them hold on to. And the more of your money you let them hold, the nicer they are to you. They call it being a preferred customer. Now, they would prefer you leave your money with them rather than you manage it yourself. Man, they give you all kinds of perks if you got the right money in there. You know, talk real nice to you. You come in, you don't have to wait. Uh, you know, everybody's nice if you got the right amount in there. You know, even the mean teller is nice if you got the right amount in there. <laughs> you get preferred customer status. Well, in Christ Jesus, we get preferred status. Now, the difference between God and the banks is God doesn't have to get a certain amount from you before he treats you that way. The, the gospel is open to whosoever will, but in Christ Jesus, we get a preferred status. In, in Ephesians uh, uh, chapter 1, verse number 3, uh, uh, the Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now, if you understand that, that's preferred status. We get all spiritual blessings in Christ. It's not based on what we let God hold. We don't have anything God need to hold on to. He created all things. There isn't anything anybody could give to God that wasn't already God's in the first place. But Paul says in Christ Jesus, we have all spiritual blessings. You know things we take for granted sometimes? Prayer, the fellowship of the saints, peace, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. All of those things are given to us in Christ Jesus as a matter of God's grace and mercy because we submitted ourselves to the gospel. And in doing all of that, God reconciles us to himself. But appreciate Jesus can and does, he can and does reconcile the souls of men, but because of his reconciling power, he's able to reconcile other things as well. You know, Jesus can reconcile a broken home. He can bring a broken home back into proper relationship. Now, it took a little while for it to break, so it takes a little while to fix it. Now, now don't take God a little while. He, he could do it, you know, in a snap of a fingers. But there are some things we need to learn. You know, if God just fixed everything right, you know, the moment we broke it, we just go around breaking things because God's going to fix it. See, but you learn something when you got to work for things. See, when you got to work for things, you tend to take a little better care of it when you had to work for it. Think about when you lived at home. And when you live at home, you just walk through the house, you turn on every light you pass and leave it on. But when the bills start coming in your name, they see, you start asking them bill payer questions. Well, who watching this TV? Well, why is it still on? Who's in this room? Well, turn the light off. 
You know, you, you, you even change your, your, uh, uh, your, your ergonomics. You know, you might like it to be 68, 67, but when that bill starts coming in your name, and you look and see two, three hundred dollars, whoo, have mercy. Look, we might have to try to get used to 71 or 72. God can fix anything. But sometimes we need to go through a process in the fixing to appreciate that it was fixed. He can reconcile a broken home. But I want you to appreciate it once I've reconciled it. He, he can reconcile a bad relationship, a dysfunctional family, a wasted life. You name it, and Jesus can reconcile it. I, I remember uh, Matthew 19, 26, uh, Jesus saying the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. He can reconcile everything. He can bring anything back into a proper relationship. It's a matter of whether or not we're willing to submit ourselves to his word and his will. Jesus is all. Remember Solomon's conclusion in Ecclesiastes? You read Ecclesiastes and you keep hearing Solomon saying vanity of vanity, all is vanity. When you take God out of the equation, there's there really nothing left. Why? Because Jesus is all. When you take Jesus out of life, then what's the point? What, what can you accomplish that, that's going to mean anything in, in the final analysis? Jesus is all. You know, not, not many times you can say three words and, and just move a whole audience to say amen. But, but when you say Jesus is all, we all just amen. And look, and we, don't, and we could take all day and not name the all that he is. And he wants to be the all in all to all of humanity. Now, he calls us to himself through the gospel message. He's willing to be your creative power, your sustaining power, your reconciling power. But we must submit ourselves to him to the call of the gospel message. Jesus calls us by having the good news preached that he died for our sins, that he was buried but raised the third day for our justification. God requires that we hear that good news. He requires that we believe Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of God, that we be willing to repent of sin, confess faith in him, and be baptized in water for the remission of sins. And all that time, God's power has been at work, but it keeps on working. In the waters of baptism, God washes away our sins, indwells us with his spirit, and he adds us to the church. And even after we are added to the church, God requires that we live obediently, live lives to his praise, honor, and glory. But Jesus is all. Uh, so much so that living in the world we live in, he allows us to rejoice and have peace because he is all. Perhaps you're here this morning, you want to respond to the invitation or you want the church to pray for you. And if either of these are the case, then we bid you to come as we stand and as we sing.